Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turned to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there. We'll be looking at a number of passages of Scripture today, but Genesis chapter 1 will be where we'll start. We are focused on this new series called Kingdom Living in a Fallen World. Last week, we introduced that to you by helping us to understand that we have a dual citizenship. At least I hope you have a dual citizenship. And that is that you're a citizen of this world, the United States of America, if you're a citizen of the U.S. And then you're also a citizen of heaven. And the thing that's going to matter most is the fact that you have a citizenship in heaven. That's going to be far more important than being a citizen of the United States, as wonderful as that might be. And the fact that we have a citizenship in heaven is is, uh, of utmost importance because we know that it was preached throughout the Word of God. You remember when John the Baptist came, what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus comes, what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when the disciples went out preaching, what did they go out to preach? The kingdom of heaven. And what are we commanded to preach? We're commanded to preach about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus spoke of it often in his parables. We talked about that. And in the gospels, it's mentioned so much about the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven? And where is the kingdom of heaven? And all those facts that we want to learn about that. So we introduced that last week. Now, Today I want to paint for you a big picture. This is, this is unlike usually how I preach. People jokingly say that I can preach three messages out of one verse. Well, that, that's, that's probably true sometimes, but that's what I do is, is preach you know, small verses or small passages and stuff. But to, today I want to show a big picture to you. I want to paint a big picture to you to help you understand about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. I want you to see where that came about and how that came about. And so we're going to put, I have Bailey back there helping me. We're going to put some things up on the screen that will help you to divide out these different things for you to put down and have as an outline for you regarding the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. First thing I want you to do is I want you to think about with me about the kingdom of heaven. And that's found here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's pretty simple, right? Hopefully you know that verse of Scripture. In the beginning, what happened? God created the heavens. We talked to you about there's three heavens. There's the atmosphere at heaven, the universe, and then there's the heaven where God dwells. And God created it all. The only thing that was eternal is God. Everything else that exists, even heaven itself, was created by God. The heavenly host were created by God. In the beginning, there was God, and he created everything else. And, and one of the things he created was this kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where God dwells. It's where he resides. And the kingdom of heaven, because God dwells there, it is absolutely perfect. There's not any sin there. There's not any failure there. There's not any pain there. There's not any death there. There's nothing bad there. All that happens in the kingdom of heaven is good things. Amen? 
And that's because God dwells there and it is absolutely perfect. God also is the one who sits on the throne of heaven. He does not share his leadership, his rulership with anyone else. He doesn't make anyone uh, subservient to him regarding being a steward over the kingdom of heaven. That place, the kingdom of heaven, is always and forever ruled by God. He sits on the throne. He is the authority. He oversees all things that happen there, which means because he is a good God, everything there is good. Heaven is good. He sits on the throne. He is the ultimate authority over that place. He rules and he reigns. And, and here's one of the neat things about that place called heaven, where the kingdom of heaven is. It's the fact that God wants, after he created man, he wants man to eventually spend time with him in that place called heaven. That's one of the most amazing things you'll ever hear yeah, and it probably didn't even register with you. Do you understand that God wants us sinful men and women and those of us who have failed and faults in every way, he wants us to eventually spend our eternity with him in that kingdom of heaven, in that place where he resides, in that perfect good place. He created that partly so we could enjoy that. That should be amazing to you, that God would do that for us. That kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a place. The kingdom of heaven is an atmosphere. The kingdom of heaven is an activity. The kingdom of heaven is everything where God is and all that's wonderful and good. And one day, it's going to be a place where we reside, but also it's a place that that kingdom of heaven will, as you'll find out, will influence us in our life today. So that's the kingdom of heaven. Well, what about the kingdom of the world. Notice there in Genesis 1 1, it says what? God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1 and 2, it reveals to us that God created this world. He created this world. And when He created this world, He created this world exactly the way He created heaven. You know how He created the world? Perfect. It was absolutely perfect. There was not any sin there. There was not anything wicked there. When God created his world, what did God say about his world? It is good. God would never say it is good if there was sin there, all right? But when God described day by day what he did, God created this world. He says it is good because it was created exactly like he created heaven. He created it perfectly absolutely perfect. And then what did he do? He created man, male and female. He created them. And when he created them, he created them how? Absolutely perfect. He looks and he sees them and they are good. And everything is wonderful. Whenever he created this world, you understand, when he created the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the world was exactly the way heaven was. It was perfect, except for one small thing. You remember I told you that in the kingdom of heaven, God sits on the throne, he's the ruler, and he never gives any authority to anyone. But that's not the way the kingdom of the world was. 
when he created this world, he not only created man, but do you realize he gave dominion? He gave dominion to man. He, he gave man the responsibility of being steward over this world. Being the manager over this world. God is the ultimate authority, but he created man and he told man, now you're to take care of my world. You're to take care of this place. And he gives man the opportunity to have dominion, to be a steward, to oversee that which he created, which was absolutely perfect. So you got perfect man overseeing a perfect world, and he has that responsibility and that dominion. Distinctly different from the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is still perfect today because the only one who decides what goes on in the kingdom of heaven is God. Whereas the world is distinctly different because God gave opportunity for man to have dominion and to oversee that world. Well, there's something else I want you to see. Here you got kingdom of heaven, you got the kingdom of the world. I want you to see a battle that happens in the spiritual realm. This is very, very important. Recorded in Isaiah 14, read it when you get home, and in Ezekiel 28, there's some unusual passages there that record an event that happens in the spiritual realm, in that spiritual realm. Well, spiritual realm is where we can't see. It's where God is out there in that realm where we can't grasp, but God is spirit, and those who worship Him worship Him in spirit and truth, Amen. When God created the heavens, God created the heavens with the heavenly host, all right? The heavenly host. Now, who are the heavenly hosts? The heavenly hosts are, are the angels, and they're the archangels who oversee the angels, and there were the cherubim, and there were the seraphim. These are all the heavenly hosts that are created by God for this purpose. The first and ultimate purpose of all things God created, that's including you, is to worship God. Did you know that? That's the first thing. That is your ultimate purpose, to worship God. If you don't worship God, you've missed out on why God created you, okay? So when he created that heavenly host, the first and foremost responsibility of those angels, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, all of those that he created was to worship God. And the second thing is to serve God, to do whatever God would choose for them to do. And that might mean, as in our day, that they are used to serve the saints or the children of God. You know, that's what angels are for. They're here to serve you. Did you know that? And he created all of them, and, and all of them were worshiping and serving God, just as God intended. But in Isaiah and in Ezekiel... It tells us about something that happens. One of those archangels, one of those cherubim, whose name was Lucifer, who had been created by God to worship God and to serve God, Lucifer decided that he no longer wanted to worship God. And he no longer wanted to serve God. But rather, he wanted to be served by others and he wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to take the place of God. So Lucifer rebelled against God and against his lordship and leadership. You, you know Lucifer by some other names. His name is Satan. You know him as the devil, the old deceiver. 
Well, Lucifer, the way he became the devil, the way he became Satan, is the fact he rebelled against God. There was this spiritual battle that was going on in the heavenlies, in that spiritual realm, whenever Lucifer decides he wants to be God. Well, God is sitting on his throne, and God never relinquishes his power. So in a display of God's power and God's authority, he cast out Lucifer from the heavenly kingdom. He cast him out from that spiritual realm and having the freedom to do it. He cast him out, and he cast him to earth. Along with him, he cast one-third of the angels because a third of the angels had followed Lucifer's leadership. And so one-third of those angels that we, that we know of now as, as demons. I hope you realize that demons are real. If you believe in angels, you need to believe in demons. They are just as real. And they are an enemy, and they try to fight against you and carry out what Lucifer wants to do and hinder the will and work of God. You'll battle with a demon every day of your life, I'll promise you. He's going to be fooling with you somehow, some way, disturbing you somehow, some way. That's just the reality. And the fact of it is, it's because of that spiritual battle that took place. And God defeated Lucifer at that point in time, cast him down to the earth, and tells him of an impending judgment that's coming his way. The judgment of Lucifer and those one-third of those angels called demons, the judgment of them recorded in the Revelation is that they will be cast in the lake of fire. God created a place called hell for Lucifer and his demons. Now listen to me. Did you hear what I just said? He created that place for Lucifer and his demons. He did not create that place for you. He doesn't want you to be there. Matter of fact, he's going to do everything he can to keep you from being there. He's going to give the greatest gift ever given so you don't have to be there. Now, some people will be there because they will not believe in him, accept him, accept his gift, and choose in pride to do it their own way, just like Lucifer in his pride decided he wanted to be worshipped instead of worship somebody else. But, but God created that, and the impending judgment is coming into their existence. And you read about the revelation, they're going to be thrown into that pit forever and ever. And hallelujah, praise God, we won't have to deal with them anymore. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm going to be one of the ones who says amen, hallelujah, when it happens. That's going to take place. That's the result of that spiritual, spiritual battle. Well, let's go back, though, and pick up about the kingdom, a kingdom of, of the world, a kingdom of the world. Well, there, there was one rule that God gave that set forth in the kingdom of the world that just one rule. Y'all remember that rule? It's found here in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And the Lord took the man and put him out into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. He gave him a perfect garden, a wonderful garden. And, and the Lord commanded the man and said, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Hear that? But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it... You shall surely die. Now think about this. Adam and Eve were created and they could do everything right. They could partake of any of the fruit. They had abundance of food, all that they need. Everything is there and you can have it all except one thing. 
Now, wouldn't you like to think in your own mind that if I had everything I could do right and only one thing wrong, I think I could keep myself straight? Don't you, wouldn't you like to think that? Well, you'd think Adam and Eve could do that. I mean, you got all these other things, go eat them. Go, go, go have it. Go, go do that. Don't, don't do, don't do this. One, only one rule, one rule, and that is you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one thing. Everything else you can do. Everything else will be fine. So that's the rule. But what happens next? Genesis chapter 3. It's called the fall of the kingdom of God. The fall of the kingdom of this world, which God had created. The fall of the kingdom of the world. Well, you know that story. Well, what happened? The old serpent comes up, Lucifer. He comes up and talks to Eve and says to Eve, hey, listen. This, this tree right here, God told you not to take of it. You, you need it. This is a good tree. <laughs> you, what you don't understand is, is God doesn't want you to partake of this tree because if you partake of this tree, you're going to become God. And, and, and he, he, he don't want you to be God. He don't want you to become like him. Who else? Who is that? Isn't it interesting? The serpent's the one who wanted to be God and who's telling them that if they'll partake, they can be like God. Well, Eve, all she, had to do, all she had to do is just say, no, I, I can have everything else. I've been blessed. Everything. No, she doesn't do that. What does she do? She partakes, she partakes of that fruit. And then she gives to her husband, Adam, and he partakes of that fruit. And whenever that act happens, they do not realize at that point in time what took place. But a catastrophic event took place in the spiritual realm. A catastrophic event took place in the kingdom of the world. What took place? Sin entered into the world. Not only did sin enter into their life because they were disobedient, and now they are going to face death. They never had to be concerned about death. They had a tree of life that they'd live for eternity. They didn't have to face death because death is punishment. They didn't have that. They weren't created that way. But now they're going to have to face death. Their life is going to be terminated. But not only is it the fact that their life is going to be terminated, but their death means that sin and death have entered into their heart and entered into their lives. Not only did sin and death enter into their heart and lives, sin entered into the world. That's why in Genesis 3, when you read that, read it when you get home, when he goes through all of those things and says, man, they're going to be, it's going to be hard to bring forth food from the land because there are going to be thorns and thistles you're going to have to deal with. And, and ladies, you're going to have a struggle in having childbirth. It's going to be painful. God never intended that to be painful. You're going to have this struggle in regard to that. He tells this whole picture of how sin enters into the world. And now the kingdom of the world, listen, the kingdom of the world that had been like the kingdom of heaven, absolutely perfect, made by a perfect God, now has fallen and has been marred. You realize that? And that sin 
permeates everything. The very atmosphere permeates everything. It says in Romans, it says that the creation itself longs for the revealing of the Son of God, that creation might be set free from the bondage of sin that took place when the fall of the kingdom of the world happened. I think about that. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of the world, both of them started absolutely perfectly. But now that sin has entered in because man has been disobedient, the kingdom of the world is distinctly different from the kingdom of heaven. Get that in your mind, okay? The kingdom of the world is distinctly different now than the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of the fall of the kingdom of the world. Well, from Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6 tells you about the expansion of the population of the world. But not only does it tell you about the expansion of the population of the world, it tells you about the growing wickedness of the world. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that the world becomes so corrupt, so corrupt, so wicked, that God says he regrets that he ever made man. Why is it so wicked? Because sin is rampant. Sin is taken over their lives. Ungodliness and wickedness is everywhere. And it continues to grow and grow and get more and more. It gets so horrible that God says, I'm going to have a redo. I'm going to have a redo. You know where the redo happens? It happens in Genesis chapter 7. What's the redo? It's the flood. The flood. What was the flood? The flood was a new beginning. God says, this world, is this kingdom of this world is so wicked, I'm going to wipe out every one of them, every living thing except Noah and his family. Noah and his three sons and their spouses, along with two of each of the animals that they can repopulate, he preserves creation in just two animals of each one of those that he wants to repopulate with and eight human beings. And they go on the ark built by Noah, and they're living on that ark when the flood comes, and the flood destroys all of the world. It's going to wash out all of the world, all of the sin of the world, no, just all of the world. It's a new beginning. It's a start over. To give the kingdom of the world an opportunity to be different, to be like it should be. Well, the problem with that is it didn't work. Did it? No, it didn't work. Because you know what happened? When old Noah, who was the most righteous man, the most righteous man on the face of the earth, the one God chose to preserve human life with, When Noah comes out of the ark, he's a sinner too. I mean, before you know it, he's done got drunk, walking around naked. 
And his son looks on him and he's judged by that. The problem is that sin was not just a problem of the earth. Sin is the problem in the heart of man, even the most righteous man. And therefore, sin began to permeate the world again. You know what happened? Population grew. And there's what's called the expansion of the kingdoms of the world. The expansion of the kingdoms of the world. When did that happen? That happens from the flood over to Genesis chapter 11. What happens in Genesis chapter 11? It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember that? The Tower of Babel. They're going to build a tower up to God. And God says of the people, says, they are so wicked, but they are yet so brilliant. That's what he's saying. That if we leave them all together in one language, they will never, ever submit themselves to God. So he calls their language to be confused. Babel. And that caused them to disperse. And whenever they disperse, you know what happened? That's the expansion of the kingdoms of the world. That Whenever they began and they had their own common language, they began to be their own kingdoms, their own nations. And they began to form here and form there. And there are multiple kingdoms within the kingdom of the world. And all that happens because of what takes place in Genesis 11, and you'll find, all, you'll find all those kingdoms eventually, won't you? I mean, you find the Egyptians, you find the Egyptians who, who hold the children of Israel in captivity. You find about the Philistines, you heard about them, didn't you? You heard about the Amalekites, the Perizzites. Heard, where'd all these people come from? Where'd all those nations and kingdoms come from? From chapter 11. The expansions of the kingdoms of the world. And those kingdoms were just as sinful and just as ungodly as prior to the flood. But something happens in Genesis chapter 12. What happens in Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12, God chooses in his sovereignty that he is going to form a nation. And he's going to form a people out of a man named Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith who would believe God. And believe in God. He was such a man of faith that God could command him to leave a land that was his homeland. And go to a place he'd never seen before. And that man had such faith that he would follow God in order to establish the nation. And find a place that God told him to go to. Abraham, a tremendous man of faith. Through Abraham, through Abraham, you find that God establishes the chosen people of Israel, the chosen people of Israel. You, you know the patriarchs. You know where they were. I mean, there, there was uh, Isaac after him, and then you had Jacob after him, and you had the 12 sons of Israel who become the 12 tribes of Israel who formed that. And, and the, rest of the, the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament is talking about God's dealing with these people called the Israelites who were the chosen people of God. God did so much for them. God, God revealed his, his love for them. He revealed his, his law to them on Mount Sinai. 
He revealed his forgiveness through the sacrificial system. God, God did all kinds of things, and God was their God. They were the people of Jehovah God. Of all people, you would think these people would want to serve God above everything else. Why? Because they were birthed out of God. They were birthed out of this relationship that Abraham had with God. But you know what you find out as you read the history of Israel? Even though they were the chosen people of God, they weren't a bit more godly or holy than the rest of the worldly kingdoms. They weren't. Oh, there would be somebody who would rise up who would be a good king. Or there'd be somebody who would rise up who would be a prophet of God. Or there'd be a person who would have the character of a David or a Joseph. But by and large, the people of Israel, even though they were blessed by God and, and given multiple opportunities by God, they were still just as wicked as the worldly kingdoms. I mean, it didn't matter in Israel. It didn't matter if it were the patriarchs leading them, or Moses leading them, or Joshua leading them, or the judges leading them, or the priests leading them, or the prophets telling them, or finally... Having a king like all the other nations, it didn't matter who it was that was leading Israel, they were still a wicked, wicked, ungodly people. <laughs> to the point that God had to judge even his own people, having different nations to come and to carry them away. They couldn't even stay together. They had to become two nations, Israel and Judah. And Israel falls to the Assyrians, and eventually Judah is going to fall to the Babylonians. And they all get carried off into exile, and they stay in exile for 70 years until they get to come back and build their temple. And they try to establish a nation, but it never really becomes much of a nation anymore. It's under the control either of the Babylonians, it's under the control of the Medo-Persians, it's under the control of the Greeks, it's under the control of Rome. Whenever the New Testament comes about, Rome is in charge. And you find that even though God had given a chosen people of Israel, that they were wicked too, just like the rest of the kingdoms of the world. So what you find out is you find out the failing kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms were failing. If they were the ungodly kingdoms like Egypt and Babylon and Medo-Persia, they all failed. They didn't become righteous. They didn't become like God. They didn't learn how to worship God and serve God. They weren't blessings to others. They were, they were wicked. But, but then also the chosen people of God. Even the Israelites, who were so blessed to have a relationship with God, they were just as wicked, just as ungodly, just as unlike the kingdom of heaven as any of the other nations. So you find a failing kingdom, the failing kingdoms of the world. Now, do you see the distinction between the two kingdoms? The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules, where God reigns, where everything's wonderful, where it's good and perfect. It's where every, everybody wants to be or should want to be and should want to experience that. And then you come over here with the kingdoms of the world, either chosen, promised people, or lost people, and pagan people, didn't matter what kingdom it was. 
They're distinctly different from the kingdom of heaven. You get the picture? So you were birthed in this world in the kingdom of the world. Some kingdom in some world you were birthed into, and in that birth you were birthed into a kingdom that was ungodly and not serving God, not pleasing to God, not honoring God, not worshiping God. And that's where we were born. That's where we live. But we have to discover that there's another kingdom, a better kingdom, a more important kingdom, an eternal kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Well, that brings about the ultimate thing, and that's what introduces us to what we'll be studying. And that is, what was God's plan of restoration. Well, what is God's plan? God never gives up on any of us, does he? Aren't you glad does it? God doesn't give up on us? Pardon me. Let me say that one more time for the rest of you sleeping. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on us? Amen? That's exactly right. You ought to be glad God does Well, God doesn't give up on the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't. I would have. I'd give up a long time ago. But God is a patient God, and he doesn't give up. So he has the plan for restoration. And what is the plan for restoration? God wants the kingdom of this world to return to being like the kingdom of heaven. He wants those qualities of the kingdom of heaven to be in the kingdoms of this world. That's what he wants. So the answer is... He needs to be able to get the kingdom of heaven into the kingdoms of the world. You get the picture? If the kingdom of heaven is perfect and God's in charge, then if he can take the kingdom of heaven and put the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of the world, he can restore the kingdom of the world. He can do that. But God already figured out at the flood that it's not wiping out the earth is not wiping out the things of the earth. It's not covering it with water. It's not saving a few people. God realized, as always God knows, but God helped us to realize that if you're really going to change, you're really going to change the world, you got to change the people in the world. It's not, it's not changing so much the, the elements of the world. But, but you got to change the people of the world. you gotta, you got to change the hearts of people in the world. And if you can change the hearts of people in the world and help them to come to a place to where they want to be like the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of the world, and you can help them understand the importance of being in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world, you can change the world. So what happens? plan of restoration is when you hear John the Baptist coming on the scene. We talked about last week, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what he said there? You're going to have to change. You're going to have to change. You can't keep being the same person you were. You can't keep doing the same things you're doing. You can't keep living in sin. you got to realize you want to change in your life. That's called repenting. 
And if you will be willing to repent and, and change your ways and change your direction and want to change your heart, then the kingdom of heaven is coming and the kingdom of heaven can come into your repentant heart and the kingdom of heaven can be in you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes along and says what? Same words, repent. You're going to have to change your heart. But if you'll change your heart, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples preach the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is available to you if you will change your heart and realize that you need to be different. And do you know what? The whole plan of restoration is about Jesus coming. We'll learn about it. Jesus dying. Jesus being resurrected. Jesus doing everything that he can and everything he needs to do so that we can be forgiven. Have our hearts clean of sin. And have our hearts to where the kingdom of heaven can indwell our hearts because the Son of Almighty God will live in our hearts. And the kingdom of heaven has come. It has come. It's come in you. It can come to your family. It comes to our church. It comes to our world. Why? Because if we will repent and we will believe, he will make us new. He'll make us absolutely brand new. And now, even though I live in this world, still filled with sin, still a wicked world, I can have the kingdom of heaven in my heart. And that kingdom of heaven in my heart is going to determine my destination eternally. But it's also going to determine how I live. How I live in this world and how I'm different in this world than what I was. And, and the Word of God is going to teach you and me something that's going to teach us how we're supposed to live in this world. This sinful world. How are we supposed to live as, as children of the kingdom of heaven? What are we supposed to do? You feel different from the kingdom of the world? You ought to. Peter says we are like aliens <laughs> living in this world. We're, we're residents here, but don't feel like I belong sometimes. What about you? You feel that way? I feel like priorities that God's placed in my heart are distinctly different than what priorities are in this world. What's important, what God says is distinctly different than what people of the world say and the kingdom says of this world. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is in me birthed in me, to control me, to watch over me, and to eventually carry me into that wonderful, glorious place where we'll enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of heaven where God dwells. Amen? Now, you need to be, and you need to know it for certainty, that you have a citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You need to realize and know that you have been invited to be a part of that kingdom and you can come by repentance 
And by believing in Jesus. And your life can be dramatically changed. Have you given your heart to Christ? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Do you know that He lives within your heart and in your life? Is He in charge of you? Does He make a difference in what you do and how you live and what you say? Is He impacting your life? Do you have a certainty that you're going to heaven when you die one day? That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to discover more about that all the while. All the while. But the question is, is the kingdom of heaven in you? I hope and pray that it is. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series Jesus said I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble I have overcome the world we can help you know the one who can bring you peace find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.